Welcome to a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics. Why are we doing a bonus? Well, there's a lot of stuff coming out this weekend. We're going to be talking about Evil Dead Rise, I assume, this coming weekend for the show. So we thought we'd do a bonus because, as it happens, every once in a while, Will Ashton, say hello, Will. Hello. You're supposed to say, well, you're supposed to say hello, Will, um, and then I'm supposed to be like, oh, dang it. That's not what I meant. Oh, no, the worst case scenario is happening. <laughs> but normally, you know, Will and I, we watch movies at totally different times. In this case, we we both watched Bo's Afraid at the IMAX event. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were able to see it and all that good stuff. And we were able to see, uh, you know, Nicole Kidman, uh, you know, uh, salute sure. the troops uh, into the theater. All that. First all time. That. I actually saw people clapping for the Nicole Kidman thing. I've, I've heard all about this, but yeah, very same rarely. here. Yeah, uh, this was only like the second or third time I'd ever seen it, and you know, outside of like the internet, and there were people reciting. Um, one person got up and put their hand over their heart. I mean, this was an Ari Aster film, so of course, sure. uh, the most annoying people in the world showed up mm. at the. Uh, oh, <laughs> we're starting off a little fresh. Yeah, let's let's yeah. begin our conversation about Bo is Afraid well, with the director <laughs> first. I got. Yeah. I'm getting already kind of nervous, so let me uh, take my pills. <laughs> how many How many pills do you need? Are those tranquilizers? And these are real pills, by the way. Mm. All right. I was like not sure actually. Are you just trying got to get my into water the things? Gotta get my water. As for people who've seen the movie, will know why. Mm. Mm. Very important. All right. Now I'm finally ready to deal with John's malarkey. So, so Ari Aster <laughs> <laughs> has made. Uh, this is his third film, and I think we were both big fans of his last movie midsummer uh, i think that's fair to say right yeah i mean i know we had a lovely conversation about that film with uh julia tady if i'm not mistaken uh back in so, 2019 yeah. yeah it was one of my favorite movies of 2019 and uh likewise hereditary was uh one of my favorite films of i believe that was 2018 2018 yeah yeah i or was it 2018 or 2017 i think it's 2018 2018 but- yeah. I got to tell you, I I really liked Midsummer a lot. It's my favorite of Ari Aster's movies by a pretty clean, you know, mile for sure. Hereditary. I like Hereditary. I I don't have big issues with it. I didn't like it nearly as much. I I forget exactly like what it was about that movie that I felt like was uh, missing for me necessarily. You often hark on films for, you know, being horror movies about grief. And I know that movie is like one of the like quintessential. This is about grief horror movies of the uh, current era. So I can that wasn't see why. the only thing. No, I mean it, it, that was back like so many years. I felt like it was before that was really starting to get on my nerves. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I think I think it just didn't come together for me as much as I would have mm. liked. I think the reason I like Midsummer is because I think the last third of that movie is like airtight, and I think he really sure. nailed it. Whereas I, I think with Hereditary, it just where it totally went. I, I just found myself kind of being like, "That's it." I uh, mean, uh, a little bit. I will say that uh, Midsummer is probably the only one of his films with a maybe conventionally appealing ending, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> maybe a stretch to say. But like, I get that people don't love the ending of Hereditary, and I'm sure a lot of people have thought to say about the ending of Bo is Afraid. You um, know, I, it's not that I dislike the the way it ends thematically. I think the way it like wraps up makes sense and the story of it and the message behind it, like I think come together fine. I think it's more of like people are like hereditary. That movie made me want to throw up and I'm like, did it like it? I felt like the the final few set pieces. I think it peaks 
with the side of the road scene. And after that, I was just a little, I wasn't on the edge of my seat. I wasn't feeling tense. That's more of what I'm talking about. Agree. Uh, That, I, I watch a lot of horror movies, as you know, and I'm sure listeners know. And I feel like Hereditary is one of the few horror movies of the recent era I've seen that genuinely got me scared. Wow. I, yeah, maybe it's just something broken, broken inside of me. Who knows? Uh, maybe, broken I mean, inside. yeah, yeah. Broken inside, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bubba's Afraid. I, this is a very, very different film from those first two. I'll, I'll start with something it? nice. It's very different. Uh, structurally. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's I'm, way more surreal. I mean, if you hereditary and midsummer are more like they have they're more grounded yeah. in like a, a plot and a screenplay that it looks like somebody actually wrote, not mm. just sort of jotted down after fe- a fever dream. Mm. Uh, you know what? I'll start with something negative. Um, I just want to oh. ask directors everywhere something real quick. Um, start to do me a little favor. Uh, I'm not asking for much. Can you um, please stop writing uh, whatever this you call a screenplay is after having a sweaty dream because you ate too much before you went to bed last night and you thinking that's a movie because mm-hmm. it, it's not translating like, you know, maybe it's translating for some people. I don't know what's going on there, but the entire time I'm watching this movie, I'm like, I you, look, if you want me to be inside of your head, uh, just don't charge me um you know in this case like i'm the one who should be getting paid that's all i don't know i mean uh i i was poking your leg earlier in the sense that like yeah obviously structurally even somewhat tonally this is a departure for ari aster but i mean i think it's undeniably his work of course like, yeah it's I definitely mean, i'm not saying it's mm-hmm. it's like completely different like oh it's like somebody else made it right i mean this is absolutely his uh blank check project uh, probably the first and maybe only A24 blank check. Uh, where it's the biggest budget of an A24 mm-hmm. film yet, $35 million. And I thought it was uh, they're, they're not making that back. I thought it was uh, even Some have reported it higher, but the 35 is the official. Um, I think the highest I've seen is around 50. But oh, let I me tell 60. you, I wouldn't be too surprised considering like what went on in this film. But let's just, you know, call a spade a spade. Uh, A24 is eating that. Um, There's no way this movie is making, like, I mean, I'll be shocked if it makes like $10 million. I I think they kind they've been sitting on this one for, I think, a year now. Uh, It's been like in the can for a little bit. And they're like, well, I don't know how we can really release this. But they decided to kind of make this their... uh, everything everywhere all at once i guess kind of by default like they're giving it the same roll out the same treatment as that movie got this time last year and i certainly don't think it's going to be uh that film for audiences uh, i think it's certainly going to be a little bit more limited as far as its uh appeal but um i i do think it is very delightful that a movie like this got a imax release <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe in a sort of like a you know, puckish Midsummer Night's Dream kind of way. Uh, no pun there intended. Now, uh, we should also mention, too, since we were talking about the development, this is based on a short film that Ari Aster did in 2011, which is called Bo. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently there's like a whole sequence of this movie that is really where this like kind of started. And I think the the original draft of the script like leaked a long time ago, like right. a decade ago or something like that. Yeah. And Astor's called this a nightmare comedy, uh, a, a Jewish Lord of the Rings. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of uh, funny stuff you can uh, you can say about this movie, I guess. But sure. for me, it, it kind of reminds me of like like 
so the listeners might know, like I write books. Okay. And the stuff I wrote 10 years ago, like the stuff I did, like it would be like me trying to take something I did and wasn't good at and try to like turn it into a movie or try to turn it, like release it without really like doing the work for it is, is my impression. And I'm, I'm getting the sense that you're going to disagree, but it's just like your first work can be so shoddy. And so that's the only explanation I can have because I'm confounded. Will I, mm. I'll set this this movie up, but I think this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, wow! At least in the last few years, and uh, I've seen that people like apparently love this movie, yeah, and are getting really mad. Uh, some people are getting really mad. Some people are just being like, ah, "I love it, whatever." Uh, other people are like, uh, "You suck. You don't understand anything. <laughs> Quit your job." And I'm like, sure, I, I feel like I should, after watching this movie, I want to. Um, okay, so <laughs> what is this movie about? Um, and then, of course, I want to hear your thoughts on it, Will, because uh, I, I need I, I need to know. I, I can't mm. wait to find out. Uh, this stars Joaquin Phoenix as Bo Wasserman, who kind of lives in like a surrealist version of our world. It's it's the present day, but it's everything's completely heightened. Uh, yes. He lives in like a version of what might be Los Angeles that is just absolutely it's like cartoonish in terms of how dangerous it is like you know it the the first part of this movie i was not loving but i was kind of interested and like intrigued by it because it seemed like it was trying to say something interesting about homelessness and uh, the people who you know how people react to crime like on the streets and i was like man this is this is everything people say about new york and san francisco uh the movie uh sorry i should say this is the thing that like conservatives say about new york and san francisco the movie where it's like oh it's like a hellscape you know you can't walk anywhere they're burning down the city and i'm just like in this movie that's actually kind of accurate um but the the basic plot is that Bo is an extremely anxious guy uh, he's the son of a, a famous and wealthy businesswoman mm-hmm. named Mona, who's played by Patti LuPone. And he spends the majority of the movie trying to get back home to visit her because he feels guilty. Uh, we actually open up with like a, a therapy session about this with, uh, oh, what's his name? I always forget the actor. Stephen uh, Stephen McKin- McKinley Henderson. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, he's kind of like, oh, are you sure you want to go see your mom? You sure you want to go back to that well? And, you know, sure enough, trying to get back home is uh, an extremely... Uh, dangerous. Uh, it's like the Odyssey, you know, it's just like anything can happen. And the movie has a lot of different sequences and set pieces. I didn't watch the trailer for this and I don't want to give a ton away or anything because I don't know what my reaction would have been. Like, I'm not sure what this trailer is even like. Maybe you can shed light on that. Um, because, yeah, I mean, wow. Um, the trailer, from what I can recall, primarily highlights the uh, Nathan Lane segment of the film and more often than not the like play segment of the film those are like the two things that get showcased i did did suspect that because there are a lot of like scenes and moments in this movie where i was like oh wow like this is one perfect shot you know like i could see the tweet that's like oh look at this shot of like or look at this art style and i was like i could see them like playing that up of like in the trailer like oh wow what is this movie well that's why i was saying that they're trying to kind of make this this year's everything everywhere all at once because like they highlight the like you will live a thousand lives and like go through all this perilous journey and they're trying to and they show like you know like the multiple versions of him like writing the notes and it's like they're trying to kind of play up like almost a sort of multiverse angle with this in a way that the movie is definitely (laughs) not that it's very 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 singular and it's uh 
Uh, I think it was um, Alonzo Duraldi who said that he would rather read the coffee table book with like images from this movie than actually watch the movie. And when I heard that, I was like, absolutely 100% same here. But Will, uh, you know, I'm curious what you think, because I was thinking about you during this movie. I think about oh. you all the time. But while I was watching this movie, I was like, man, where in the world is Will going to fall on this? Because there are so many things in this movie where I'm like, that's a Will thing. Like, this is something that I think Will's going to respond to. There were people in my theater responding to this movie in a way that I suspected you might. Um, there was some laughter and, and stuff like that. But uh, no, nah, give it to us. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the air and off the air, we joke about there are John the Groney movies, and then there are Will Ashton movies. Not to say that everything falls into that binary kind of categories, but uh, I think there are certain it's a films. Spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> there are films like Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, uh, that are John the Groney movies, and they're not my thing. And I why do you have that. to choose that I one? I have my qualms with them, but at the you end of the day, you make me sound like such a simp, being like, "Oh well, John likes movies like you know, like no. stupid Pikachu 4. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that like <laughs> that is a four quadrant fun fantasy movie with like a jokey, goofy sense of humor that I don't really respond to. It's not my thing, per se. I don't like fantasy all that much. So that's your thing. And then there are movies like me, there are movies that I like, which are like Michel Gondry, Charlie Kaufman influence, surrealist, uh, neurotic movies that I can see the appeal is limited, but I love when a movie like this can get made. And suffice to say, I love this movie. <laughs> it was so much of fun. Of course. This uh, reminds me of like our, our Anomalisa uh, issue. Oh, we, yeah. I thought about Anomalisa for sure. I mean, especially. Uh, I'm yeah. thinking of ending things especially. Sure, and yeah. also, I think the movie that we agree on, though, that's like a, a Will Ashton movie is Mother. And that yes. is a movie I do go to bat for. So um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm on your side sometimes. I saw probably my favorite uh Line about this movie on Letterboxd from someone I follow. I uh, believe it was Mitch Anderson who said, This is Ari Aster's mother, mother, and mother. By that, referring to Bong Joon Ho's mother, uh, um, Darren Aronofsky's mother, and Albert Brooks's mother. <laughs> that's actually, that's a very, very good assessment. Yeah, it's, it's all those movies uh, wrapped up in the one. And I have to say, the fact that uh, A24 didn't release this movie on Mother's Day is. Uh, a crime in some respects, but also maybe of a course blessing. they didn't against guardians of the galaxy. <laughs> oh, I mean too. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I actually don't even know if that's around when, um, uh, Day is, but it'll be out by then. I think, I mean, this is not a summer movie <laughs> to be no. sure. Uh, I, I just think it would have been funny if they, they had the gumption to do that. Sure. Um, nevertheless, uh, this movie is, uh, it's basically sort of like an after hours sort of heightened comedy where we have a very undersexed, uh, very, very undersexed, uh, character who's just trying in, in my, to in my yeah. letterbox drafts I put the 48 year old version version or virgin virgin yeah because those are two different movies um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I said virgin I meant to say virgin and I went version because that movie yeah 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 um, but in any case it, it, I the movie I thought about the most was after hours Scorsese's uh, after hours just because that's also a film where a guy is trying to get laid and then, like the whole world turns against him <laughs> very oh yeah and uh, to, to your credit to Martin Scorsese uh, interviewed Ari Aster after a screening of this movie and I think they talked about that yeah I mean it, it's a very I think direct uh, influence as well as obviously we said the Charlie Kaufman surrealist kind of uh, neurotic uh protagonist kind of coming to terms with his life in a very heightened, absurdly, darkly comedic way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think above all else, what I really respond to about this film is uh, 
it, it just depicts anxiety in a way that I've seen other movies tried to pick, but just hasn't really accomplished that much. That overwhelming sense of like living in this character's perspective. I think for me, like the stuff that you point out where it's like, oh, it's not really an accurate depiction of homelessness and not this and that. It's like it doesn't matter because it's all Bo's perspective. It's everything is just what if the worst thing that could happen happened? And, oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm not I'm not criticizing any of that, like framing. Um, that was actually like the part of the movie I liked the most was that framing you're talking about and how I was like, right. oh, that's actually kind of interesting. Like this world is interesting. Right. I think that's the stuff that people are most likely to like about the film. Uh, the stuff that people are least likely to like is the third hour of the film. Um, but uh, I can say I was smiling from, you know, you know, I was grinning from ear to ear this whole movie just because uh, I admire the swing of it, man. I mean, it's just like I, I can't believe a movie like this exists. Uh, I can't believe that it got made on a scale that it got made. I can't believe I saw it on IMAX screen. I can't believe that, you know, I make him believe that Walking Phoenix would do this. But I'm kind of surprised that he was allowed to do this as his follow up to Joker. Uh, yeah, it's just I mean, you know, I, it's one of those films that, as you were alluding to, I can totally understand someone not liking it. It's not a film going to be like, how could you not like Bo is afraid? Like it's a very reasonable response not to like it. And my audience I think was certainly uh, torn to say the least. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can just say that for me and my own neurosis and my own neuroticism, I can uh, gleefully accept the movie like this as being not only fun and sort of relatable, but also just a, a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I, I will, I will say though that he, uh, Joaquin Phoenix did do come on, come on um uh another a24 movie before oh yeah in between so not quite his, his follow-up to joker but certainly a bigger film um in terms of like how many people were expected to watch it although I, I could see come on come on having a bigger box office and that was like only a few million uh come on come on is a great movie uh i don't remember if we talked about it that much when it came out uh, i don't think we did but it's a good movie i liked it yeah um yeah so, so the way i would describe this movie too you know like the, the first hour i'm kind of just like I'm in because I I've, I have all this goodwill stored up for Ari Aster because I, I admire Hereditary. I'm glad I watched that movie and I, I respect what that movie did for horror. And Midsummer, I thought I was like, man, this guy is like steadily improving his craft. I think this is a terrific like putting Florence Pugh ever more on the map and uh, just it, it was a movie that was about like using horror in a different way. He wasn't just resting on the grief thing, uh, which, you know, we already kind of mentioned, but it was like, oh, yeah, what if you did a horror movie about a breakup and you do it really well? And I remember being in the theater for Midsummer, and, you know, kind of similar responses to to this movie, where it's like there was a bit of a, a silence after where people were like, huh, well, what's going on? Like, I don't know about this. And I was just sort of like, I do. I'm like, 100 percent. Let's go. Uh, and then in this movie, all of that goodwill is stored up because I'm like, all right, I trust this director because I think that he he does know what he's doing in terms of like, oh, I'm going to do something interesting with horror. I'm not just going to do everything that's come before. And uh, it's funny because there was a, a screening for the Evil Dead Rise that same night as this IMAX event. And, you know, fortunately, I, I was able to go to the IMAX event without paying. So, of course, I should disclose that because I said I made that joke earlier. <laughs> but, um, you know, the guy was invited to go. And so I, did, and I was like, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll see Evil Dead Rise at a public screening because I really want to see what Ari Aster's movie is, because as much as I love the Evil Dead movies, it's like I've seen Evil Dead movies. I know what's going on there. And I was like, this is something original. This is something that, you know, even though I haven't seen the trailer, I get the sense that it's going to be a challenging film. And yeah, I got that <laughs> um, because I think like the first hour 
I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, what is he, where is he going with this? I didn't know this was three hours until right before the movie. Cause I was like, oh, when am I going to get out of here? Okay. This is three hours. Okay. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, I guess that's, uh, uh something we're going to do here. Yeah. Uh, the second hour, you know, we have the Nathan Lane stuff and I was a little bit like, okay, like this is moving along and I'm, I'm still kind of interested. I was getting annoyed because I think for me, this character is so passive and I felt like I get that that's the point and that he's not doing anything or yeah. barely, barely talking, um, barely doing anything. Barely, barely can raise his voice above like a certain register most of the time. Right. And so I'm if like, well, okay. Screaming. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, look, Ari Aster, he knows how to write screenplays. He knows how to structure things. He knows how acts work uh, in order to string us along. And then we start to get into a sequence involving uh, a theater troupe and, you know, uh, a a mass shooting, uh, the, the whole sequence that seems basically pointless to, to the movie, uh, you know, like, unless I have to like, you know, read somebody's dissertation on it. Um, but certainly in the moment, I felt like this, uh, is kind of an aimless exercise that I wish I was watching by itself without any other accompanying movie to distract me. And then, yeah, Will's already shaking his head because he can't believe it. And then, and then that last hour, where I won't give it away, but there's a, a cameo of a character who comes in um, there at the very end. And, you know, somebody who I deeply love and respect. And it, you have to try so hard to make me not enjoy this actor when they're speaking on screen in any, any movie whatsoever. Because when they showed up, I was just like, ah, Holly, the Hollywood best friend. And I despised it. I was just like, this is such a weak, pointless, uh, masturbatory exercise. And a director who just, I, I just get the impression, wanted to, you know, air out a bunch of like therapy speak through surrealist, absurdist, dark comedy. And I don't think he executed it well. And so I want to say that I admire the swing because I want more movies to have big swings. But I don't like the idea of a director just like making something and have and it not being... I just get the sense that like nobody said no to this guy uh, and nobody sort Good. of like pushed back on it. And sure. I mean, that's his right. Uh, but I think it, it ends in a, in a movie that I think is extremely uh, unsuccessful uh, by my metric, but mm. um, you know, I can't say anything about what other people say. I, I'll give the movie this. I mean, I, I've seen some people be like, this movie's gorgeous. And I'm like, it is sometimes uh, there are moments in this movie where I thought it was just like plain ugly and uh, fastidious, but it's Pavel Porzelski. And so I, a lot of this movie is just like incredibly staged and the production design is flawless. Uh, there, there were just moments where I was like, uh, I, I, I hate this. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe it. And I have no issues with the performances. I loved seeing Amy Ryman in this, her, her and Nathan Lane. Like there were times where I was like, why can't this be the movie? Uh, yeah. I was really kind of like sad about how some of that goes down, but um, I have no issues whatsoever with the performances, particularly Joaquin Phoenix, who I think just commits. And mm -hmm. uh, if there's anybody I respect in this movie, it's the actors uh, more so yeah. the the writer director in this personally. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I was with it throughout. But I agree. I think the the first half is probably what I responded to the most, just because it's the funniest stuff. Um, and Nathan Lane is a hoot. Uh, and this as well, like his line delivery of everything is just so funny. And then there's, um, without giving too much away, they have a, um, a f uh, additional guest that lives in their house. So I thought every time he was showing <laughs> in the background, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> he's just, uh, he's such a fun character, but I, um, found, it, I found it too disturbing. Uh, that, that uh, whole thing. 
disagree. So I, couldn't I, I, I thought it, was, it could have been, I think, certainly. But because he's so heightened and so bo- absurd and bombastic, uh, sometimes quite literally, it's just I, I, I don't know. I can't relate to like real life with that. I mean, to me, I mean, like I said, I mean, it's just so uh, indicative of this character's worldview where it's just like it isn't real life. And obviously, like there's keys throughout the film where it's like we don't even really know, like. What's driving this? Is it the lack of sleep? Is it the new medication that he's taking? Is it just generally his world anxiety that's plaguing him? Or is it just the world itself being so uh, resistant to him in so many different ways that like, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really take stock in this being true to life. But I also appreciate this movie isn't too far removed from the world we live in today in many respects. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's a movie that. Certainly, you can say it's self-indulgent. I'd be surprised if someone tried to argue it wasn't self-indulgent. Uh, but to me, I mean, I think that's more appealing than not at this point. I, I want to see directors make movies like this. I want to see people really try to make something that is so deliberately uncommercial and just making something that comes from the heart and is filled with their own eccentricities. You can argue, certainly, that uh, his influences, maybe similar to his previous films, or maybe... Um, a little too apparent, like obviously we, we keep mentioning other directors that influence this film, and you could say the same about his previous two films. But yeah, I also just appreciate that we do have, at the same time, films that are unmistakably Ari Aster films. And I think he's certainly influencing the, the company as well. I mean, he's like one of their golden boys. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just fun to see. Uh, I think it's funny also that uh, both uh, Robert Eggers and Ari Aster and their like big swing blank check third movies basically made their own versions of Oedipus Rex. I think that's also really funny, uh, just in their own weird sort of eccentric ways. And they're also kind of the Odyssey as well. Um, so that's kind of a fun little, uh, I guess, uh, unintentional uh, I'd similarity. Say, I'd say the Oedipus stuff is way more pronounced in the Northmen, and sure. it's only sort of like softly implied in this movie, but that's sure. just me. Yeah, I mean, I think this is more the Odyssey. That's more Oedipus Rex, but they both have both in shades them. of yeah. both yeah I, I guess i could see that uh the difference of course like i think robert eggers to what you're saying is the one who does those big swings who does kind of like play with your expectations in a way that i i do respond to that more and and, and i want to i want to be clear too because it, it, people might say it like well it, it, the commercial movies it's not a bad thing you know accessibility it's not a bad thing um different people like different movies and it sounds to me like what you're saying is like there should be room for both it's like yeah you have your commercial movies your your john and movies or whatever uh yeah. your crowd pleasers right uh, crowd pleasers that don't suck that aren't just like cash grabs but actually like bring people together everybody likes them like a good one would be like the fable it's like i think that that's like a, a nice crowd pleasing I... sort of movie that you know isn't I mean, just like yeah this movie is not dissimilar from The Fablemans, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly The Fablemans is a more uh, conventional, you know, and it's storytelling, right? But I think what you're saying is that, like, well, there should sure. be room for the flip side of that, where it's very unconventional, very sort of like uh, avant-garde, like, you know, I don't want to invoke the French New Wave, but I might. Sure. I mean, I'm not really thinking the French New Wave with this per se. I mean, there is a lot of... Ta- of Italian neorealism or... No, I mean, but I get what you're saying. Like, there is, like, uh, Jockey's Tati in this, for sure. It's, so, certainly in the beginning of this, like, some of the um, background humor, sight humor, physical humor uh, is akin to that. But I don't know if it's, like, French New Wave per se. But, um... I'm not yeah. saying the film is, but I think it's of that category, you know, of, like, the time and place of which people are watching it. Like, I think this movie has to do a lot to kind of shock people because we're in a totally different era 
where like what shocked people in the 50s and 60s is completely different from what shocks people today. I don't I don't really see the movie trying to like shock people except for like do you not the attic scene will actually well that's i was gonna say the attic scene's like the 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 one exception but the the thing i find amusing about the film is that you kind of see where it's going in each individual scene it's just that like that's where the humor kind of builds is that like they set up where it's gonna go and just like he has to constantly try to negate what's gonna happen (laughs) because he can kind of yeah I, I find it very alarming that you expected what was going to happen in that attic i that's that to me is what uh, is more shocking than in even the movie itself. I mean, again, that's the one scene I think uh, is the exception to the rule. What I'm trying to say, but I mean, uh, also, I mean, like I've heard people say like this is um, like a three hour panic attack, and I don't think that's necessarily true. Like it's, it's not more like, meditative than that. It's more. It's anxiety. a nightmare. Yeah, it's, it's it's anxiety. I mean, it's just like how it feels to constantly be fearing the worst, thinking like, oh, God, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. And it does happen. Uh, well, then and also on top of that, this idea that you're passive in a nightmare. That's why he's so passive, yes. because you you feel like you can't even move. And right. then when you try to take actions, like things get in your way and mm-hmm. like you have no real control. And he's trying to play with that as like you as the audience feel that way because you have no control over this movie. There mm-hmm. are a lot of times in this movie where I think Ari Aster is like, oh, you want this to happen next. But it's not. Um, Or you want this person to say this and it's not, which I get it. It's just that's not that's just not a fun, entertaining theater experience. I disagree. But I I hate it. Again, that's I don't want to be in a nightmare. I have my own nightmares. Sure. Again, this is not a John Negroni movie. This is a Will Ashton movie. and I get that. But I'll argue that I think Mother does it better. Um, I think sure. Mother finds a way to evo- evoke that same feeling without, I think, frustrating the audience as much, um, at least for me, because, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people who dislike both movies. I mean, um, you know, I think they're akin, but I also feel like they're sort of dissimilar. I, I get what you're the, the comparison is very easy to make. I even made it earlier. But Mother is way more allegorical and metaphorical. That's yes. that's the key difference. Yeah. And biblical. Um, yeah, this is a little bit more. Uh, it's Jewish. Yeah, it's, it's more a, um, Old Testament. Well, I mean, even I don't know. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it it, it has more of a um, kind of uh, goofy sensibility. Like, I mean, Mother is definitely not trying to play for laughs. This is absolutely a bombastic comedy. I don't even think Ari Aster wants you to take anything super seriously at any point in this movie, except maybe the beginning. But yeah, I mean, I mean uh, for as much as you claim that's like over or like overdoes it does too much by the end i i don't see, think the movie works without the ending scene because it's compliments beginning it, it is the thesis of the film so like i don't know i mean part I of it why- is that i saw that i mean to what you're saying of like i saw that coming of like what he was going to do in that last thing but i saw that coming so early in the movie and if anything i felt a little bit of relief where i was like oh maybe we're not going to go there we're not going to do that like we're actually going to maybe be a little bit uh in my view uh more uh, a little bit smarter a little bit more of like let's find a, a creative way to wrap this up and then they just do it and then i'm like okay well i know what four movies you're trying to like spin here and i, I, I was just like can we just and i just wanted to leave i, I just i sure. did not want to be in the theater anymore and for me that's like if i get to that state um, and I suspect a lot of other people can feel this way. If I'm at that point where I cannot wait to leave, I'm just like, I'm done with this movie. It's way too long for what it's trying to do, at least for me, then I, I'm going to walk out of the theater just with a very sour taste in my mouth. And I do think that this is one of those movies where I suspect that people who really despise it might not hate it as much the second or third or fourth time. The problem is 
I'm not going to watch this movie again. Sure. Um, even though I do have an, I, I, I could see myself not hating it as much, but certainly like it. Yeah. It's, it's a weird crisis for me there. I mean, it is funny that you mentioned that because like, uh, obviously another point of comparison I think of is uh, punch drunk love, which is one of my favorite films from one of my favorite filmmakers. And that's another film where it's like, so anxiety inducing another scenario where a very neurotic undersexed mild mannered guy, uh, you know, finds himself getting in worse and worse situations. Like everything he feared would happen would happen sort of thing. And that's a film I know, uh, the first time you watch, you're kind of wrapped up in guilt and like, anxiety and trepidation and that and then the more you watch it the funnier and funnier it is i feel like i could see that being the case with um with this movie even though i do think it's very funny on the onset uh yeah because i feel like that that tends to happen with ari aster's films like the more you watch them the more you kind of catch on to how absurd they are and the more kind of at ease you weirdly get so i am curious to rewatch it what did you I think disagree. of the uh th- there were like moments where we have like the young bow and then we have like the young parker posey mm. and uh i think um michael gandalf uh michael gandalf gandolfini mm-hmm. is in this movie at one point as this kind of like i don't know if he was supposed to be also sort of i, I don't totally get what the movie was doing with um the the three sons or whatever but yeah no you mentioned uh, that. yeah uh also uh zoe lister jones who I, I thought was very good in this but mm-hmm. what, what did you think of some of the oh you disagree about zoe lister jones no no, no I, I i said mm-hmm. i said she is oh, good oh. <laughs> i thought you'd be like Mm-mm-mm. no i said mm-hmm. uh what did you think of all those sequences like when we go back to the past or when we we have like the flashback scenes and all that because my take was those were scenes where i was like i, I wanted a little bit more because i was actually kind of liking how he was weaving those together to explain the present yeah, I mean, I think you well, you kind of need those as like little breathers. Like, I mean, you can't. I, I think even Ari Aster knows that you can't make an entire movie <laughs> with like you know uh, this sort of passive character constantly kind of running against his wits. And you know, uh, Corey Woodruff, friend of the show, kind of compared to Courage the Cowardly Dog, and I think that's a funny little uh, point of comparison, like an like a three hour Courage Coward the Dog episode. That's actually pretty uh, fair. Yeah. <laughs> Which I would hate. I would hate having to watch Courage the Cowardly Dog for three hours as much as I love that show as a kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you kind of need those little like moments and, and it fleshes out the characters, obviously. And then, uh, like, you know, it, it does give us like moments of reprieve where we see a little bit more of what the dynamic is with the, um, Joaquin or Bo, I should say, and uh, and his mom and like just kind of like the the uh, establishing why Bo is the way he is. And then having like this one character, this one soul character who likes and respects Bo as a person (laughs) without any qualms or, uh, you know, uh, alternative motives or whatever. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's a yeah, it's nice Uh, as far as the play stuff. I mean, I think it serves a purpose in the film. Uh, It it enforces that Bo is like going to kind of have to learn the same lesson over and over and over again. And that's why I kind of push back against even though I understand that people are complaining about the very literal nature of the film. Like it's not very like um, like like you said, not very allegorical in the sense of like it's not being like uh um uh what's the word like uh uh vague about like what the 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 intent of the film is like it's it's very sort of analytical but like also just like very blunt uh in its uh metaphorical nature but um yeah i just i think it's it's Bo just kind of coming to terms with what he'll have to learn at the end of the film but just you know realizing it 
very late on, but we need that kind of establishing to get that thought into his head. I'll say something. Uh, I'll finish this out with something mean and something nice. Um, I, I just get the sense that a lot of this movie was made up as it went along because there are things that happen nope. where I just, this just feels like he was writing it and he was just like, I, I didn't really plan for this, but I'm just going to do this whole thing now. I'm going to add this in. And it just doesn't feel like it was self edited uh, whatsoever because then there's like a plot twist of like the only reason the plot twist happens is because he just inserts a character that we, have, we don't even know who they are and it's supposed to be treated as this revelation and i'm just like to me it was just really sloppy screenwriting because i think he was just sort of like oh i can make things up as i go along because it fits the themes of the movie but then when you execute that it, i think in my opinion makes the movie worse uh the nice thing i'll say is that this movie has some like really good transitions um i don't think the editing is good but the sometimes like the way the scenes are edited of like Bo like being asleep to awake to day to night like a lot of that stuff was like whoa you know like really cool uh just a you know on a totally visceral aesthetic level I think this movie has like that kind of craft to it that sure kept me not uh totally miserable but uh definitely a little miserable yeah I mean I thought the editing was strong I guess not every film can have the sharp editing of Renfield <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Renfield, better movie than this. I uh, disagree. But, um, but that's like also like sort of the anti uh, Bo is Afraid sense of like that's clearly a movie that was brought down. All of its ideas are sort of like uh, truncated. All the weird stuff it was trying to do is like brought down. This movie is just indulging itself fully and completely. And I get, again, that's not going to be everybody's thing. I get that people don't put $14 on the table. Uh, get their popcorn and soda and sit down to forget about the world by watching <laughs> Bo is Afraid. That's, all, that's, all I'm yeah. saying is if I'm going to watch a movie that is like overindulging on weirdness and trying to be funny and using surrealist uh, set pieces and art styles, I'm going to watch the 20th century because I think that movie does it much better. But, sure. Uh, yeah. Again, I also think that's going for a different thing, but I get the comparison. All right. Well, I guess uh, on that note, I, I feel like we're we're afraid. To, to keep on debating this because, uh, you know, I think it was uh, uh, Dan Merle, because uh, I watched his review and he, he was kind of like, you know, fil film, um, you know, or talking about movies, like film criticism should be uh, analysis, not debate, which I thought was an interesting um, point he made in his video. Yeah. Uh, if folks want to check it out, I think he had a good review on this movie. Although Will sent me like a, uh, a thumbnail kind of thing about it or whatever that I was like, oh. So I, it's Dan. just, I mean, <laughs> the the joke of that uh, thumbnail. It wasn't against Dan. I, I I think he's a lovely man. Uh, it was just more that people were like, "This is a very not YouTube kind of movie. Like, this is not the film that like you get those like annoying kind of like screen grabs of people like reacting to the film. Like, this is a film you kind of have to sit down and think about and kind of talk about, not like have like an instant reaction sort of thing." Uh, which makes it ironic that we're talking about this movie like only a day or so after the fact that we saw it. But uh, nevertheless, like, you know, it, it's a film that I agree that like, I think you kind of, whether you like it or you don't, you kind of, you, you do need to sit with it a little bit more. You, you can't really like, well, that didn't work and that didn't work uh, or that worked and that worked because it's, you know, it's very sort of subjective. I mean, I get that this movie is very much if you're with it, you're with it. If you're not, you're not. I have the Rotten Tomatoes up here because we're about to play the game. And I just, you know, quickly glanced. And, you know, I mean, one of my favorite film critics working today gave it a fresh. And I'm like, oh, of course, you know, I, I could see him responding quite well to this movie. Uh, that's Alex Dowd. But then also 
Corey Woodruff is over here uh, calling this. It might just be one of the best movies ever made. Uh, Corey Woodruff and I need to have some words. A uh, friend of the show has already been mentioned. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Corey, I love Corey. I love, um, I, I, you know, I love just uh, like slapping high fives with Corey, you know, going to the big game. But, uh, you know, this might be a, a point of contention. I wish, well, mm-hmm. that uh, Corey and I had watched this movie together and oh, uh, gone to like, you know, some like cheesy Tarantino diner right after mm-hmm. and just had it out like Tim Roth style. It would have been great. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, not to subtract me from the equation, but I, I do kind of wonder what this episode would have been if uh, I was replaced by Corey, who claims <laughs> this is like one of the, maybe one of the best movies I've ever seen. And you're like, this is one of the worst it. movies I've ever seen. Uh, uh, what an episode that would have been. Maybe we can do that as a, another bonus. I don't know. Maybe maybe we need to save that for, uh, you know, the world might not be ready. <laughs> but OK, let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Uh, only 97 reviews counted so far. Mm. Um, I am planning to write a review for this movie, but I need time. I, I kind of agree with you. Like, it's not an instant reaction thing. Um, and I've like uh, the person reviewing it for us at in between drafts. I'm just like, take the time you need. <laughs> like, this is not one of those where I think uh, it just like slapping something out. is always going to work for everybody. But yeah. We do have 97 reviews on here. People, I, a lot of people did see this April 1st. Uh, we didn't mention that the, the April Fool's joke screening where uh, we had one in San Francisco, which uh, I'm glad I missed. Um, uh, but essentially, the Alamo Drafthouse was playing the movie, uh, but they were, they said they were going to be playing Midsummer, and that Ari Aster uh, actually was going to be in San Francisco. And there were other ones, too, in other parts of uh, the U.S. I think there was one in Kansas City, one um, not maybe uh, New York. Uh, I forget exactly, but... Sure enough, um, I didn't go because I, I was kind of, it was hinted that there would be like a Bo is Afraid uh, preview kind of thing. Clint actually mentioned this because uh, they had one in Chicago too. Uh, so he mentioned that when we were talking about Renfield the other day. And uh, I missed it because it was uh, my wife's birthday. Uh, so I was just kind of like, ah, I'll watch Bo is Afraid later. It's fine. And uh, sure enough, um, I'm really glad that I did not see it because I would have, uh, I, I don't know. It would, it would probably would have been like when I watched Vox Lux, uh, because I watched that at the Alamo draft house with the director there. Oh, oh yeah. And I remember uh, being a little bit like, cause I, I did not like Vox Lux at all as you yeah, recall. I love and, it. Uh, <laughs> I feel like in both these situations, I feel bad that yeah. you're not the one who could have been there. Cause you probably would have had a hoot and a half. Yeah, I but, know. Uh, I'll case her off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry for rubbing that in. Um, anyway, <laughs> 97 reviews. Well, Ashton, what's the critic score? What do you think? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, this could be, you know, not that it could be anything, but like, I mean, <laughs> fresh, positive, who knows? Um, <laughs> they invented like a new thing for like the tomato that it's yeah, like cut just in a, half. Just a giant question mark and a tomato <laughs> shape. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say... At the moment, I mean, I, this could certainly go down, could go up, who knows. But I think at the moment, it's probably fresh. I think people are probably going to admire the swing. Certainly, people are going to be outspoken and negative about it. That's going to be the case probably for time in a way. Uh, but for now, I'm going to say it's still in between, but probably more fresh than not. I'm going to say 65%. It is not 65. It is higher. Okay. I'm going to give you one more shot. Higher than 65, but I'm not giving you a, like a, a ceiling on this. Um, why don't we go 10 up and say 75? Very close. I thought you might do that. And I was like, oh, maybe you'll, you'll split it. But no, it's 74. So close. So close. Uh, 74%. I find that uh, alarming, uh, disgusting, and uh, certainly uh, a sign of the times um, that that many critics are liking it. And no, I don't have an issue at all with critics liking this. If anything, I'm just like, I'm thankful because I'm like, 
other Somebody. people didn't have yeah. like well no because i don't want other people to have a bad time at the movies i want people to have a good time yeah i never understand when people get upset or like like oh people like this but it, it it sucks i think it sucks i'm like well it's that's way better than the alternative isn't it yeah i mean i i, I think you think i'm being kind of flippant with the dungeons and dragons comparison and i maybe am a little bit but uh <laughs> i i do think it's one of those things where it's like Again, that's not my movie, but I can see why people are liking it. I'm glad they got it. Like, yeah. you know, it's just not my thing. Uh, and that's I think thing. it's just like, yeah, it's, it's like people want to be the contrarian. I, I think sometimes people want to just like be right about a movie before other people are. Be like, ah, in five years, everyone's going to agree with me. And it's like, probably not. And why do you care? <laughs> like, yeah, this is I mean, how you feel in the moment. Sometimes movies are reassessed later. That does happen. But that doesn't mean you're smarter than anybody. It just means you responded differently. Get over yourself. I mean, this is a type of film that I could very easily see forming a cult, you know, status. I could certainly see it being not a cult hit uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think people want to uh, kind of be uh, the first to be on that bandwagon the same way that like something like Under the Silver Lake, another A24 film, has now become sort of its own cult classic and it was you know kind of rejected by the studio and didn't even get a theatrical release really and now yeah. people are kind of claiming it and loving it and are like i recognize the brilliance that you know a24 didn't see here uh i could see people wanting to be on that bandwagon with both or the afraid. opposite though of like oh everybody's liking this but i think it's bad and then the other people don't realize it's bad which i actually find that like worse to worse. me it's just like oh when i really love a movie that people hate usually people are like oh that's kind of nice but mm -hmm. when you i don't know there can be a little bit of an antagonism of like uh, more people should hate this movie like i do that i don't get yeah. i won't name names but i have seen at least one or two people who like wow well, their way to see this film knowing they're gonna hate it and just so they could be like you fools i saw it and i knew it was gonna <laughs> be bad and it's like well then why'd you see it like yeah what? i mean and i know some people who are like oh I, I, who very much dislike ari aster and think he's like a bad problematic person or whatever because of his movies that what? i'm just like why are you in this like like why do you have to i don't know and and i get i, I did kind of make fun of Ari aster fans because he does have a contingent of fans who are really annoying um it's a small loud minority to be totally clear there are a lot of Ari aster fans who are fantastic and like obviously um, yeah. they're named will ashton and Corey Woodruff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean have you I, not I, experienced the Ari aster stands they're they're pretty obnoxious. I have not. Uh, I have they're the kind of film. They're like film bros. They're like people who are just like, oh, you just didn't get it, and like you shouldn't be a film critic to people who didn't like the movie. And I'm like, come on, you simpleton, you charlatan, you have no idea. You know, I, I again, like I, I can't. I think it's kind of funny that people are having that response to this movie because it's just like it is so neurotic, and you know, it's it's such a film that. I, I can totally understand why people don't like it. Again, like, it's like, I can't see someone being like, oh, like, how could you not like Bo is Afraid? It's like, so it's defensiveness of just like, I don't want to be told the thing I like is bad, which, I don't know, shake it off. Yeah. You like I Taylor mean, Swift. Sure. It's a type of film that, like, I think the um, initial reactions are necessary, but it's also the type of film that I think you just kind of need to evaluate it later to get a full analysis. It's just, I don't think this is the type of film you just like can really have a full gauge with at this time. We'll, we'll do the audience score next and, and it'd be totally clear. I feel like these numbers are going to be different in like, you know, 10 minutes, but um, what do you think the audience score is? We have fewer than 50 verified ratings. So it's kind of hard to judge. Um, well, I'm going to be surprised if this is positive, uh, just based on my audience uh, response to it. I don't know what your audience was like. Uh, I mentioned. Sure. Uh, 
Um, you yeah, weren't they were, listening. They were saluting mm-hmm. the screen when um, Nicole Kidman <laughs> was there. No, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat because apparently you were just, uh, you know, mm. not, not listening. I was just thinking about the movie and smiling. I said that the people were laughing a lot in the first part and then it kind of, the laughs kind of, uh, I didn't mention this, but the laughs started to get less frequent. And then at the end of the movie, there was just kind of like a silence of like, mm. uh, what's, what, what do we do with this? Uh, I guess my audience was laughing more consistently than yours then. But I mean, certainly w- once we got to the Patty LuPone stuff, I feel like the, the last dwindled. Yeah, people meanwhile, woke up during that stuff. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I'm kind of chuckling <laughs> throughout. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. Um, audience score, 45%? Not 45%. It is much higher. 73. Ooh. Well, I'll be danged. And I'll tell you what, I think it's because like this is the first wave. I think a lot of people who wanted to see this went and saw this and went to Rotten Tomatoes. And I do think this movie found its like ideal audience. So I think that's what's happening there. And that's why I'm kind of like, oh, this could change um, yeah. very quickly. Uh, I mean, we don't the have limit, send the score yet, by the way. I mean, we should have mentioned it is in limited release uh, in like New York and L.A., I believe, at the time. Uh, and I think it's gotten like the second highest gross of uh, like per theater average at this time for the year. Um, so I don't think it's going to continue, but uh, it is, I think, <laughs> off to a pretty good start so far. Yeah, it, it does face a challenging theatrical environment. Summer is on the horizon. The summer season is going to get started in like two weeks. And we really just don't have uh, a sense yet of like how much Super Mario is going to make. It's looking like Super Mario could be like the biggest movie of the summer, even though it came out in April, um, like early April too. not even like an Avengers movie that comes out like the last weekend of April. So uh, that said, uh, Bo's can, afraid. I mean, it's counter programming and it, it, it suits a role, I guess. Can you imagine like the family who uh, try to go see Super <laughs> Mario Brothers? It sells out and they're like, well, what else is playing? Oh, Bo's afraid. Oh, no. I mean, maybe there's a it could kid be on the poster. Yeah, uh, there's a kid on the poster. It must be like a father son <laughs> thing. Maybe we can get some good family bonding time with this. <laughs> Three hours. Uh, we're getting real value for our money. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. They don't make epics like this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Lawrence's Arabia. This will be great. Um, yeah. So uh, we'll finish off with Letterboxd. Uh, 11,000 watches so far. Not too bad for this movie, not even beaten out yet, really. So, uh, you know, not besides the limited release, as you mentioned, in the IMAX event. But uh, yeah, Will, we have 11,000 watches. What do you think the average rating for this one is? And I'll tell you this, it has more listed fans than a lot of movies we talk about that have like 100,000 ratings. I'm going to assume there's no letter, or sorry, there's no uh, cinema score yet. Oh yeah, I said that before. Okay. I was gonna say I'm. I was very curious about that one. Yeah, uh, that, that could be an F or in the D territory. Who knows? Could be an A. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> no, I don't think it's gonna be an A. It's no. either a D, a D minus, or an F. Uh, we'll see. I mean, a C minus for this movie would be like an A for any other movie. I'm gonna say I'm. I'm gonna guess now uh, for the cinema score, just sure. just for kicks and giggles. Um, I'm gonna say it's probably gonna be like a D. I okay. think because it's goofy, because it's jokey, people are going to be like, well, like, like they had fun at the beginning, but then like they got restless. And annoyed I, and- I think the issue, though, is going to be the the length and the very end. And right. so I think that that's going to push people down to like the minus F. But uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe you'll you'll be the correct one. Um, but you know, anyway, Letterboxd, what do you got? Yeah. But again, I could totally see this movie getting an F. I mean, obviously. Uh, but who knows? any case, um, I'm going to say the letterbox right now is a 3.4. 3.7. Oh, okay. 
which I, I genuinely like when I first went to the letterbox and I was like, all right, what's what's the crew saying? What's the whole gang, the friends of the show, the folks that we follow? And I'm seeing so many four stars, four stars, four and a half, fives, some three and a halves, you know, people who just are sitting on the fence, I guess. Um, and obviously lots of ones, one and a halves and twos. But, you know, friend of the show, Kimber Myers, four stars, four. Yeah. Then you have Matt Donato with two and a half. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I almost respect the movie for that, for having such a varying effect on so many different people. That, yeah. Uh, that, that to me is almost like a win for Ari Aster. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing on my letter box, like a lot of, some fives, a lot of fours, some threes and halves. Uh, but then obviously. Four stars. Uh, I know you liked it that much. But I also see like a two, two and a half, and then like ones, ones a half. I haven't seen anyone give it half a star yet, which is uh, intriguing to be yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't see that either. Uh, the lowest I see is uh, one and a half. Yeah. But I've, I've, oh, there are a couple might people be from the same person. A couple people I follow have given it one star. That's the lowest so far. Oh, wow. All right. Well, that is Bo is Afraid. Uh, you will be able to check it out yourself uh, when the movie comes out uh, really you know, tonight, Thursday previews. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, so yeah, uh, good chance it's playing in your area. And uh, obviously, you know what we think uh, in terms of whether or not you should watch it. And right. uh, yeah, it's made $320,000 so far, uh, which isn't, you know, I mean, could be a lot worse than that considering uh, the lack of uh, wide theatrical. But I guess the, the IMAX event didn't make that much. I mean, my, my theater was very sparing uh, in terms of how many people were there. There's maybe about 40, 50 people. Um, oh, that's had, a big, big theater. I had not, uh, higher uh, attendance than that, to be sure. And I tell you, like the Evil Dead Rise uh, group, because that was a, a press screening that, uh, you know, also had like public uh, stuff, like about people who like won tickets and stuff like that. So that was a big event. Like people were taking mm. pictures, you know, dressing up. And so the, the Bo's Afraid crowd kind of like we like walked around the back. We were like ushered to the back of the theater by, you know, like some staff member of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would. You know, this is the this is your theater, and then ended up being the big IMAX All right. one. All right, you sickos, you go in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like um, Bo's mom, just like throw you in in the attic, and it's just like you go <laughs> yeah. go in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything will be answered. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for um, uh, this bonus episode, and uh, sure, we'll be back to talk about Evil Dead Rise, and uh, eh, who knows what else. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you guys see the film, if you haven't already. Go on to uh, Twitter, if it's still around, and uh, say if you are hashtag Team John or hashtag Team Will, and we'll see what <laughs> well, happens. Uh, better than Twitter is it, uh, the Discord server uh, for In Between Drafts, which oh, has yeah. a Cinemaholics channel, hmm. and uh, you could go there. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're Team uh, John or if you're Team Will, what, what happens if uh, you win or I win? Hmm. The next time uh, we hang out in person, I'll wear my Bo's Afraid t-shirt that I got at the screening. Okay, and I'll wear your Renfield t-shirt, I guess. <laughs> That's right, because I have the Renfield one, too. That's perfect. <laughs> all right, well, we'll see you on the next one. Uh, from the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. See you next time. Bye.